Hi, you're listening to Becoming Whole podcast with Claire Bradshaw, where I explore with my guests what it means to lean into living a life of wholeness and connectedness, a life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind and spirit come into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values. So if you're a seeker, a feeler or someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's get inspired together. Hello and welcome to episode number 24 of Becoming Whole podcast. Can you believe it? This podcast has now been going for one whole year. I have absolutely loved this journey, having inspiring conversations, making new connections, and then getting to share all of this wisdom with you. Years ago, when I began waking up from living a bit of a life of going through the motions, living a life by default, I was absolutely craving connections with like-minded people, having conversations that were uplifting, that were nourishing and also filled my soul and helped me to understand myself and the world much better. And that's where the idea to run this podcast originally came from. Uh, I wanted to build a community of like-minded people who were interested in healing themselves, growing themselves, uh, so that they could be the beacon of light in their communities. And just by saying this gives me all those warm, fuzzy feelings to know that that is exactly what we're achieving with this podcast. And if you know anyone you think could benefit from listening to this podcast and receiving the value that we provide here, do share it with them. Uh, If you'd like to support the show and give it a rating on iTunes or give it a review, I'd absolutely love to receive it. And this also helps to build awareness of the messages and the value that this podcast provides. And if you'd like to connect with me, which I would absolutely love, then the best way to do so is on Instagram. So underscore Claire Bradshaw underscore. So let's get to this week's episode. I speak with the courageous Jen Crescenzo, who is a yoga teacher and a teacher trainer. She's originally from Washington and lives in Melbourne in Australia. We have a super honest conversation here about how the yoga industry has changed rapidly over the past decade. We also talk about her difficult and courageous decision to go from working in a successful film industry career to becoming a yoga teacher. We also talk about what happened um, in Jen's life to instigate this change and the challenges that she was faced with in doing so. Jen shares some big questions that she asked herself as well and that helped her in this transition. She also shares so much wisdom in this episode, the learnings she's had from her personal life experiences and also from what she's experienced on the map. I know you're absolutely going to love getting stuck into this episode. There's a stack of value to be had here. And just a little note before we jump in, we actually recorded this episode while I was in Kyoto and Jen was in Melbourne. So you may hear some background noise and a little bit of crackling from the audio. So hopefully this shouldn't disturb your enjoyment of the show though. Okay, let's get to the episode. Hi Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Thanks for having me, Claire. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great. Um, so I'd love to kick off this, um, this episode with talking about your journey with yoga and, you know, what kind of brought you to the mat in the first instance and then, you know, how it's led you to the point where you're now working very much with, um, in, in focus in your practice. 
like I, I came to yoga, I think the way that many people do. Um, I had, I grew up um, playing lots of sports um, and had always competed. Um, and I, so while I was very physically active, um, I did not grow up in a family in which I was exposed to yoga at all. Um, I did grow up in Washington, D.C., where cultural diversity and religious and ethnic, ethnic diversity were, um, you know, it's, a, it's an incredibly diverse city. So I'd been exposed to lots of different spiritual practices, religions, political points of view, mm-hmm. um, philosophical points of view. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't odd for me to embrace something different, but I can't pretend that I knew anything about yoga when I came to it. Um, if you'd asked me, what is yoga? I probably would have said stretching, you you know, Mm. it's hard, it's hard for me to remember back that far, but, but I was definitely not well-informed. Let me put it that way. And I, um, I went to a yoga class because I had, um, you know, I was in my twenties and uh, believed I was invincible. And, and at some point you injure yourself in a way that you, um, finally understand that you are not invincible. Um, and I had an injury that I just wasn't recovering from, um, in part, because I, at that time in my life did not, um, not know how to slow down or, or stop or take rest or take care. That wasn't really, um, Mm. wasn't, wasn't really part of my way of living. Um, and, uh, so I, I went to yoga because there happened to be a gym down the street from where I was working. So it was convenient. Um, and I walked into the gym yoga class knowing, you know, nothing about yoga. And this was back in, in 2001. So even in a city as, you know, um, eclectic and diverse as Washington DC is, there were very few yoga studios. And I doubt that I would have gone to a yoga class if I'd had to go to a yoga studio, because that would have felt like a very probably exclusive and unfamiliar place. Mm. Um, which is something I always carried forward when I went into teaching yoga, the idea that, you know, the gym is really an access point for people. So even though people kind of tend to denigrate gym yoga, I think, um, you know, that I would never have become a yoga teacher if gyms didn't have classes and if good teachers didn't, um, teach in those environments. So it it just so happened, whether you want to call it, you know, uh, coincidence or, or karma. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I walked into a class with a woman who was an extraordinary teacher, um, who was teaching in a gym for that very reason that, that she, um, she did also teach at studios. I, I later learned she had a massive following, um, but she wanted to reach people she wouldn't reach. She was probably in her, late fifties, early sixties when I met her. Um, and, you know, a very passionate lifelong student of yoga. Um, and you know, if I hadn't walked into her class, maybe I would have taken one yoga class and, and never done it again. But, um, I walked into Susan's class and it, uh, and she really, I think her passion for the practice really caught my attention um, and at that time I was working in documentary film and, um, I think I, you, you know, I was st- always struck by people who had real conviction in, in their beliefs and, you know, had the 
good fortune of being able to talk to a lot of those people in the film work that I was doing. Um, and so, you know, Susan struck me as a little bit of a force of nature and therefore instead of doing a couple of classes until my, you know, injury got better, I, I ended up becoming a, you know, a dedicated <laughs> yogi. Um, and, and I was, I was humbled by, how much there was to, to learn, you know, it was new and I was curious. And, and of course, from an athletic background, I was also, you know, I, I won't pretend that it was the spiritual com- components that were um, right away what drew me into the practice. It would have been, you know, athletic mastery of the asana. But I did always understand from Susan's offering that there was something more um I just didn't at that time comprehend what that was right? yeah 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 I think you um you made a really interesting point there um about um you know teaching in um gyms and um you know uh, like a lot of uh, yoga teachers that I know and myself included you know kind of look to teaching in gyms versus teaching in studios and it's almost like you know to be a better yoga teacher is to teach in um you know a studio which I think is rubbish but that's definitely <laughs> you know, it's definitely a belief that I had for a while and um and um I think you made a really good point about actually how the gyms are so important because it's like that potential entry point into the practice for so many people yeah I, I've I mean, I look at the yoga industry has changed significantly in the time that I've been even peripherally a part of it. Right. So I described that I was taking, you know, I took my first yoga class in 2001, um, in a, you know, in a, a big, um, city with a lot of ethnic and, and, um, with a lot of diversity. Um, and DC is incredibly international. There are people that live there from all over the world and, practice every imaginable religion and, um, Mm. you know, um, lots of different philosophical and, um, political and any, any other variation and background you can think of. Right. So, and even DC had a very small yoga community. Mm. Um, it was not common for, for anyone to practice yoga and it certainly wasn't common for anyone to go and do teacher training, particularly, I mean, I was at that time already an established professional Mm. um so i mean the whole industry has gone from one that's you know certainly much more of what we would call a cottage industry right you susan the teacher that i described earlier you know had another full-time job even though she was a um you know a a very well-respected yoga teacher in in washington dc it wasn't um a lifestyle or a choice that you made as a career and that's really changed and then that shapes what people aspire to around teaching, what their expectations are and the con and therefore the kind of um, teaching community that, that you have. Um, I, I think certainly something that made it possible for me to, I mean, I moved all the way across the world into a city where I knew no one and, um, and decided to, to leave the film industry behind in spite of, you know, 10, very successful years in that industry. Um, but I think part of what enabled me to come here and, and rebuild and find my, my footing as a teacher is that I had worked in a lot of different environments. Um, and I think that part of that ha- happened because I came up at a time where um, 
yeah, there wasn't sort of this idea of the pathway that you, you know, as a young teacher just graduating, you should go out and, and you know, um, set up an Instagram account, hustle to get paid the, you know, the, the most money you could from the most exclusive studio you could work for. Cause, cause that whole ecosystem just didn't exist. Right. Like mm. I went to teacher training before there was social media. Um, I, you know, started teaching um, before you had studios on every corner. So I think it would be a very different experience to start life as a teacher today. But for me, um, you know, yeah, my first classes were in gyms. I, I taught for a few studios. I, I taught um, a class to moms who hired me to come in and teach them a class right after they had all dropped their kids off. So that was in the sort of community room of an apartment building in, in the neighborhood where I was living. I mean, so I, I had the opportunity to work with people from very different backgrounds, very different understandings of yoga, very different bodies and needs. Um, in that mother's group, I ended up working with somebody who was, um, she, she ended up undergoing chemotherapy. Um, you know, so just, mm -hmm. uh, I had, um, because of the way, you know, well, I'm sure it was a lot of factors, but just the fact that there wasn't this kind of studio system to move into meant that I had to be probably more creative as a new teacher. Um, and there were these opportunities that were just outside of any kind of branding or, you know, studio identity. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, I think in retrospect, that's probably really shaped um, the teacher, you know, that, that mm. I became. Mm. Yeah. That's a really interesting point because things have changed so much, haven't they? Um, in the last, yeah. what, what would you say? Is it five years, 10 years, um, that things have changed? <sighs> yeah. Like, I mean, I think every time you reflect back, right. I mean, now mm. I've been, I've been teaching part-time since 2004. So I did, like I did my teacher training or I, sorry, I started yoga in 2001. I did my first teacher training in 2004, which in that of itself, right. I run a lot of teacher training now and people will come to teacher training with almost no yoga experience. Mm. Right? Like that would, that was unthinkable. You know, if you were somebody like me, when I went to do teacher training, there's no way you would leave your life. I mean, I went to an ashram for a month if you didn't actually have a dedicated practice, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. you know, um, so the pathways to teaching are, are, are so different now. I, you know, I think obviously yoga has become part of a, you know, a billion dollar health, wellness, lifestyle industry. It's become one of these careers that people aspire towards and, um, you know, it's associated with, you know, like I, it, it's, it's become a big business in a way mm. that it wasn't. In fact, when I um, decided that I was going to leave film and become a yoga teacher, that was not met with enthusiasm and <laughs> encouragement. You know, people thought I was out of my mind, mm. um, you know, so it's, yeah, it's a very different, um, it's a very different ecosystem. Um, and I, and I think some of the changes are, are good changes, right? The, the, the bigger the industry becomes, the more, um, I think there's a, there's a lot more diversity in yoga education. Um, and I think, 
you know, that, that changes the, the, the nature of yoga teaching. But um, I also think there's a, and I don't know if this is because there's more money in the industry or because everything now people just expect to happen faster. Mm. But so I did my first yoga teacher training in, in 2004. And the only reason I started teaching immediately was because Susan, that first yoga teacher I met in the gym became my mentor. And when I came back, I had no expectation of, of teaching. I considered myself very green. She wisely understood that if I didn't start teaching right away, I wouldn't really integrate what I had learned. So she gave me a couple of her gym classes. Essentially, she forced me to, to teach. Wow. Um, it's a great thing. And- that. Uh, well, yes, because she sort of pushed me mm. off the cliff. But I mean, you have to remember, and again, this probably has been really important for me in terms of the fortitude and courage mm-hmm. it sometimes takes to, to, to teach um, the way you want to teach. You know, she was a very popular teacher, one of those teachers, and you've had them, you know, they, they exist here in Melbourne, where if people find out there's a cover for her class, they don't show up. You know what I mean? Mm. So stepping into her shoes was definitely yeah. not something I was eager to do. Fair enough. <laughs> because, yep. uh, you know, so it was, it, it was scary, but, um, mm. but you know, she, she thrust me into that right away, but I wouldn't have had any expectation that I deserved to, you know, to have yeah. classes. I would never have, you know, the life cycle now, like I'll see people go, to trainings and then immediately turn around and not only expects that they can, you know, make a living as a full-time yoga teacher, but they'll start running their own workshops and teacher trainings. Mm. I would never have considered myself knowledgeable enough Mm. um, to do that. Right. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I, um, it wasn't until 2009 that I trained with Paul Grilly in yin yoga and it wasn't until four years after that, probably where I, where I very reluctantly offered my first yin training (laughs) (laughs) only because a studio owner that I was working for at the time, um, really pushed me to do it. But I Mm -hmm. still felt like, well, you know, who am I to offer teacher training? And this is after, you know, for you, you know, study mm-hmm. with the founder of Yin Yoga and four years of teaching Yin, and yeah. and today because people are looking at it as an industry and they're looking at the financial picture, um, studios and individual teachers are making very different choices, um, mm. and so yeah, it's just a it's it, it that's that's changed, continues to change things a lot. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. And I think that, um, do you, do you think that social media has had a big part to play in all of this? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's social media is a, is a a, a force, Mm. right? I mean, it's, it's changed, uh, everything. And I'm not saying that, look, I think, um, I'm talking to you on an iPad. We're using an app called Mm. zoom. Um, Mm. you know, I value technology. I mean, technology itself is, look, I I think um, you can take 
responsible use and set responsible parameters in the way you design and offer technology in terms of privacy settings or um, parental controls or all those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, technology is neither good nor evil. We can put it, you know, we put yeah. it to use, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's probably a, that, that statement could be debated, but I, but I think yeah. anything can be, can be, um, can be used for good. And I think, yeah. Um, you know, for example, last year I connected with a movement coach just through his work on Instagram and I ended up going to train with him in LA and it was an amazing experience and um, he was a wonderful teacher with a lot to offer and I, I would never have known of his work if I hadn't yeah. um, been pointed to him by, by a, another movement friend on Instagram. Yeah. On the other hand, yeah, there's definitely a... Um, a way in which we are expected to perform um, everything, right? I mean, and yoga is no exception. So, um, you know, there there are ways in which we perform yoga and, and images that come to represent yoga and poses are easily captured in those images, right? So, yeah. so yoga becomes posture, right? Yoga becomes mm -hmm. the asanas. And then that gets further um, amplified by social media. Social media is an amplifier, right? Mm -hmm. but so it, it's not that social media is the problem, but social media definitely changes the perception. Um, I'm working with a, a in a 200 hour teacher um, training now, and it was a real um, awakening for me stepping in front of those students as I did a couple of weekends ago and just yeah, realizing how different the beginning of their journey is from, from the beginning of, of mine, mm. um, what their expectations are around what yoga is, um, what they think, like they, they're coming into yoga intending in two years time to open studios, you, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and again, you know, some of them are, have never heard of, the, the philosophical or, or spiritual or ethical dimensions of yoga. It, mm. I, I'm their first exposure to that. Right. Um, yeah. Which is pretty different right, yeah. than, than, than how it's been in the, in the, you know, not too distant past. Yeah. Um, That's a really, yeah, really interesting insight, you know, in terms of, yeah, how these, how things have changed and shifted um, and all of that. Now, Something I wanted to um, find out a little bit more about. So, I mean, you said that you had worked um, in uh, in film for, did you say 10 years before yeah. you decided to um, become a yoga teacher? Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that decision and what it was about yoga and the practice of yoga and your experiences that made you kind of go, actually, no, this is something that I want to you know, leave behind my, you know, my previous career and step into this because, um, this is definitely, I've found it to be a really quite a full on journey myself. And I'd love to hear sort of what you went through with that. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, that's, it's a, all, it's a complex question. I'll, I'll try mm -hmm. to distill it. Um, I loved my work in, in film. I was a producer and writer and director, and I, I was working primarily for the first seven years in um, social justice driven documentary. So, um, the work was very demanding, um, it all consuming really. Um, mm. and part of that was because of the issues I was working around, uh, um, 
which a lot of which included um, issues of justice for women. So women who women and, and girls who'd been victims of sexual assault, domestic mm-hmm. violence, um, who'd been who'd struggled to get good health care. Um, so so pretty serious and significant issues. Um, and again, I was in my twenties and I I came from a family that had done social justice work and the commitment to that kind of work, I think in a way you end up minimizing your own self-care mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because, because the, the, the situations and the issues you're looking at, you know, seem so much bigger and more important than you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. I've had a 14 hour work day and um, there are probably some mental health issues from spending time around so many people um, that, that are, um, have experienced significant trauma, but you know, the person I'm going to interview tomorrow morning is a victim of sexual assault and she has the courage to share her story with me. So she seems a little bit more important, right. Than me taking care of myself, Mm. right. Or the issues that she's going to speak to and the opportunity to, um, to have these conversations in, in, you know, in important um, political venues that drives you to work really, really hard because you're working for what feels like significant social change. Right. Um, That said, I mean, the film industry is a demanding industry, no matter what side of it you're working on, it's extremely competitive. And, um, and then you add the layer on of this kind of responsibility, responsibility that I felt for the people I was working with because of the, yeah, again, the, the sort of, Mm -hmm the courage that they had to talk to me about the most difficult and and personal moments in their lives that felt like a significant responsibility. So, um, I was not looking after myself very well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and at the time, again, there was no real, nobody talked about that kind of the mental health aspect of, um, you know, nobody was sort of saying like, are you looking after your own mental health or, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it wasn't just, wasn't a conversation that people had in the world I was living in. And DC is very driven and and work focused and and ambitious. And, you know, I mean, everyone is kind of trying to change the world. Right. So we weren't sitting around saying like, have you really looked after your own needs? (laughs) Just, it just wasn't like that. Um, and I, you know, and yeah, so so at a certain point, although I was doing work that I was very proud of, um, I had, um, I was struggling to continue to teach yoga part time. And then I was struggling to practice yoga and my um, physical health really deteriorated. Um, I ended up in, in chronic pain, what I would now describe as chronic pain. I don't even think I knew, I don't even think that was a th- a, a way people described things back then. <laughs> like, mm. um, and uh, I'm making myself sound like I'm like 90 years old, but I, but I don't remember anyone talking about these things like chronic yeah. anxiety or chronic pain, that kind of language. What I knew was I was in my late twenties and I had a, you know, a, a, my back um, was so sore that I would have to, when I was, um, if I stood for long periods of time, um, I would stiffen up and, and experience incredible pain and have to sit down. And I, you know, there was a recognition at least on my part that I was, I was a little young for yes. this kind of, um, for this to be happening. And it, and that kind of tr- 
triggered me to ask some deeper questions about the life I was living and the work I was doing. I'd always said that I was a person who really valued my family and my relationships. I lived in the same city as my family, but I could go months without seeing them. And we lived three blocks away from each other. Um, So clearly, although I had said I valued um, my friendships and my family and um, my health, I wasn't actually valuing any of those things (laughs) because I was in chronic pain. I wasn't seeing uh, my family and you know, when I spent time with my friends, it wasn't particularly meaningful. I'd I'd come home at night and I'd be too tired to try to, you know, put together a healthy meal or um, do, I was living for my work and that felt fulfilling for a period of time. But, um, and I don't have any regrets. I don't have any regrets about what I did, but it it got to a point where I, I said, okay, well, is this, first of all, is this the life I really want to be living? Is this how I want to feel mentally and physically and emotionally? And those are hard questions to confront. Mm. And then secondly, I had to ask a deeper question, which I think yoga had prepared me to ask. And I didn't understand it until that moment, really. Mm. But, but which was kind of, which was the question, is this is the life that you're living consistent with the values you say you have? Oh yes, that one. <laughs> yeah. And either you have to say, actually, as it turns out, those aren't my highest values. My highest mm-hmm. values are career success and um, you know whatever it is. You know the, the the life you're actually living. Maybe maybe those are your highest values. And so then you say, nope, I was kind of deluding myself that those other things were my values. Mm-hmm. In my case when I did that sort of gut check, I I said, no, those are my values. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I had a recognition that the, the discomfort I was in was, you know, in part arising from the dissonance (laughs) between what I said were my values and how I was actually living. And so I, you know, I had to figure out how to make change. Now my process was, made easier in some ways. I I tried to do it in in Washington, D.C. So I transitioned out of full-time film work. I was still um, working as a contractor in film, but I started to, you know, try to amplify my presence in yoga and build that up. But I mean, at the time, and, you know, I could make $500 an hour as a producer and about 45 yoga teacher so you can imagine I mean um obviously there was that discrepancy and it wasn't just the money because I've never money has never been my primary driver but it was but but I did find out in the process that status was important to me and it wasn't status again associated with money it was more intellectual status Mm -hmm. and in in DC yeah the, the work I was doing was the status work because yes. it's th- that ambition to change the world. Yoga was not considered a status job. Yoga was considered a hobby. And mm-hmm. for me to, you know, have risen to where I had gotten to and then say, yeah, but actually I think I'm going to go to yoga. <laughs> you know, if people couldn't wrap their heads around it. And I realized that, it, you know, and I, you, know, you can blame other people, but I was attached to the status I had. Mm. And it was difficult for me to, to, you know, um, 
to move to a quote unquote lower status job. Mm. And if I hadn't moved to Australia, it probably, I, I, it would have happened, but it would have happened more slowly. What I was able to do because I moved to the other side of the world was essentially make a conscious decision not to seek work in film. So when I left the United States, I, I, I just said, I'm, I'm closing that door. And, mm. you know, at that, because I was coming to a place where nobody knew me, mm. I could leave things out of conversations, <laughs> you yeah. know, nobody asked and nobody knew. Mm. So, so it probably wasn't until, so I could sort of shed that identity much more easily. Mm. And I can remember actually a couple of years into being in Australia. And at that point, you know, it kind of became more common. I moved here at the end of 2010. And at that point, it became more common for people to to sort of Google you, right? But, you know, people would come to me and say, they they would have like found out about this secret identity, this past identity <laughs> I had. They're like, you, you won an Emmy for, you know, a documentary. <laughs> I'd say, yeah. And they were like, why did you never mention that? And but that was a conscious choice because I didn't want to reestablish that connection between my status and that career. Mm. I, I needed to build, I needed to build something new. So I really intentionally destroyed, you know, kind of that, that, that previous life. I mean, I, I joke, but it's kind of true. Like I, I, I came here and I reincarnated. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really fascinating. My, my husband always says this as well. Like we've, we've moved around quite a bit. Um, I'm from England and he's from Australia. So we've always kind of gone back and forth between the UK and here. And um, he's always said that he reinvents himself. So when he kind of goes from one country to that, he kind of reinvents himself again. And it's like, it's not like he's, he's creating, a completely new person is obviously still himself but it's just he's just accentuating the areas that are important to him as to where he wants to take his life at that point yeah um, I think that yeah that's yeah. a great way to put it yeah it's yeah awesome oh that's thank you so much for sharing that um story I think it's um I mean it shows a heap of courage on your part to you know be in a um you know a successful career and a career that has served you um, yeah. and then to realize that actually now it's not serving you, even though it did in the past and to then, you know, take the steps to following what, um, is true to your heart and to your values. Um, yeah. And I think my film career was also true. It, I, I was talking about actually to, to this class of 200 hour teacher trainees and I was trying to, I was, they've not read the Bhagavad Gita. So it's a challenging thing to talk about a book with people who haven't read it right yeah. <laughs> um and that and, and the gita is in itself a, a, a many layered text but i you know i think you know one way that i understand the this notion of 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 dharma is that i think my life's work will over time reveal to me a real consistency i'm a communicator mm-hmm. um i was teaching through film i was communicating through film I wanted to contribute through film to, I wanted to make the community I, I lived in and, and the broader community a, a better place, right? With richer conversations and more attention to the issues that I felt were really important. And that's also true in yoga. They're mm-hmm. different mediums, different ways of delivering information, but 
they're not so different. Like under, you know, there's a, there's a thread um, that ties together what I was doing as a filmmaker and what I'm doing as a, as a yoga teacher. And so I don't see them as being so radically different. I think there Mm. is that, you know, the, the, and, and what, you know, the, um, yoga would call that thread my my dharma mm. <laughs> um, so it's yeah it's as your as your partner says it's 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 a shift in emphasis it can be a shift in method but the underlying sort of really deep core values um remain yeah um and and are just being communicated through a, in a in a different um setting and in a yeah in a different way yeah, for sure, for sure. It's um, and and it's interesting to kind of reflect on that type of um thing because um, you know, I, I've definitely done that quite a lot in my life where it's you know certain things have happened and then it's like reflecting back. It's like at the time I never realised why a certain thing had happened or you know what had taken me along a certain journey, but then only kind of connecting the dots going back. I've yeah, <laughs> begun to kind of understand it, you know. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a really fascinating and um, process to go through. So let's talk about Yin Yoga. So what? So you, you know, you were practicing yoga, you were teaching yoga um, in Washington, and um, and then sort of what led you then to taking the trainings with Paul Grilly and going down that route? I think. Um, I mean the the. Well, the simple answer is that um, I'm a I'm a relentlessly curious person, and I've never been very good at accepting the idea that a system is wise because it's a system. Yeah. And in the yoga world, you know, you had these lineages. You had Iyengar. You had Ashtanga. You had um, some of the the more modern linea- lineages um, like Anusara. And when I left, so I studied in the Shivananda system, which again is a, is a, is a lineage and has a set sequence and has, um, and I, I really valued in that system, my introduction to the devotional aspects of yoga, the philosophical, um, dimensions of yoga, but I left still kind of with questions about the 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 why of things and in particular probably on a personal level i was struggling with meditation as a practice and and you have to remember again coming from i i had competed as an athlete i i came from a you know a, a family of go-getters right people who got things done <laughs> and yeah. um so to to fail at something for me was not um it, it was not an option really. yeah. <laughs> and, and I, and I felt like I was a failure as a meditator and I went in pursuit. So I, I went to different lineages and different systems. When I left the Shivananda ashram, I, I, you know, hungrily consumed um, many styles of practice and different teachers and kind of as a quest for the why and I met lots of interesting people who all had interesting ideas, but they still, the why always came back to, well, that's the way so-and-so's lineage teaches or that, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and that just was not a satisfying answer for me. Um, coupled with the fact that, you know, so intellectually there was this lack of satisfaction and also as a, as a developing human, 
it seems to me like one of the promises of yoga was a promise of of meditation and it it had not fulfilled that promise (laughs) I was still four years on struggling to sit still no closer to what I thought was meditation um and so I was you know I kind of had these these um, parallel dissatisfactions, if you will. Mm. And at, at that moment in time, Paul Grilly kind of stepped into, I mean, he was, he was initially very controversial, which of course appealed to me, I would say, as someone who had always been a little bit rebellious. Um, and I, he was controversial because he sort of stepped in and said, Hey, what if we kind of threw out the, the, um, approach to yoga that says we do it this way because of X lineage, <laughs> right? <laughs> and instead we look at the functional intention of the postures. And in order to look at the functional intention of the postures, the, the why of the posture, why am I in this pose? Um, and of course, there can be many dimensions to answering that question, but just physically, why am I in the shape? What am I stretching? What am I compressing? What do I think those things actually do in my body and mind? And those were questions at the time that no one else was really answering or investigating in that, in that scientific way. And what Paul was offering was not just a scientific approach, but a scientific approach using your own body as, as the laboratory. And no one else was doing that. Mm. everyone else was saying this is the system and the system if you do it this way progresses this way and these are the expected you know um places the notches on the belt of yoga that you'll achieve Mm. and paul you know just was saying something so different to that that even though i wasn't you know he at that time he was just another person with another set of ideas but his ideas really caught my attention because it was just, it wasn't just a different proposition. It was, he was like, he was basically saying, let's have a totally different conversation. Mm. And that resonated for me because of course my life work in, in some way had been about that, right? My work in social justice was about saying, wait a minute, we're having the wrong conversation. Yeah. There, there are things we're not talking about. And, and if we're not talking about those things, we're not, we're not actually going to affect real, real change. And Paul essentially was doing that in the yoga community. So there was something about it that really grabbed me. And at the time, what he was teaching, you know, was, was kind of more anatomical and looking at skeletal variation, the differences between bodies and how that could shape our approach um, to yoga. And so he just, he intrigued me. And, and all I could do at the time, he was not offering a lot of teacher training because, again, I mean, he was, he was not a popular guy then. In fact there were a lot of people who thought he was dangerous. <laughs> and, really? Uh, and so I, because he was proposing something that challenged the, the prevailing wisdom, right? It, yeah. it, it, it challenged the conventional wisdom. It was, there was this idea that no yoga is this sacred thing that's been handed down. And, it, you know, I would have bought into that. Now, the more I studied and experienced and understood that yoga ha- has always been and will always be a changing you know organism but that isn't the way it's presented it's it's like no you know there's this posture does x and this posture does y and that's because this swami says so um (laughs) you know i mean forgive my 
to put it not so elegantly, the more you, you, you know, you untangle those, those threads and you, you sort of, or I should say the more, the more you kind of pull back the curtain. I mean, none of that's true, right? Like what we call yoga is a synthesis of lots of different artistic, scientific, philosophical, and physical traditions. And yoga itself, even within India has changed um, throughout the years that it's been sort of offered as this life practice Mm. um so to suggest that it's this fixed thing is erroneous to begin with and then to suggest that we shouldn't question it or reshape it based on um our evolving needs as a society practicing this this living art and science also seems you know um fairly (laughs) silly i don't you know (laughs) Um, but but Paul was kind of the first person to be like, well, maybe we should like, probably not the first, but somebody who was getting attention. And and he's an incredible communicator, incredible teacher, and so he was making an argument that was that was insightful enough and provocative enough that people were paying attention. Mm-hmm. And you know, he was sort of saying, look, let's pull back the curtain because you know the truth is we we don't know what these postures are really doing in the bodies that 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 we're putting them in unless we actually investigate that a little bit more thoroughly and and so that investigative approach to yoga that that curious approach to yoga what does this posture feel like when i'm in it um where do i feel those feelings what do i notice when i come out of the pose i mean these are all things that when you when you say that out loud, you think, well, that doesn't sound so radical. That like, of course, yeah. you should be doing that in a yoga pose. But at the time, that is not the way yoga was being taught. And I would make the suggestion, based on what the students who come to my trainings tell me, in a lot of environments, that's still not the way yoga is being taught. It's not an investigative practice. It's not a, a, a curious practice. It's a prescribed practice. It's do this, and you will feel that. Um, Mm. do this and eventually you will be in this asana um and you know what paul was offering was yeah i think it was scary because because it challenged um yeah a lot of the conventional wisdom and the people who had been offering and selling and (laughs) making their living and reputation on that conventional wisdom i mean it's not you know when someone smart comes along and challenges you that's not a that's not so comfortable really. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you, um, so you, did you go to, um, you, you trained with Paul in person? Yeah. So I, I started out, he had put out a DVD called anatomy, uh, anatomy of yoga, which intrigued me. And I started doing his yin sequences at home. There was no place to practice yin. I mean, mm. there was, um, so I had, it be, and again, bear in mind, like I, I was somebody who was used to going a thousand miles, miles an hour. I mean, um, I did not take time off. I, I, I did not, um, I, I filled my time. So the notion of sitting still in a posture was not appealing to me. Like <laughs> the notion of being in a posture for three minutes, it was inconceivable to me. So that's how much respect I had for his ideas. And I was even willing to try it because it, yeah. it, it was not appealing. And in fact, um, I became a very early adopter of podcasts in part thanks to Paul Grilly mm-hmm. because um, I couldn't sit in the postures in silence and stillness. 
So I would listen to podcasts. Um, my, I, that's how I, I've had, a, um, I've always loved Radio Lab, and I will forever link Radio Lab and Paul Grilly um, in a very beautiful way because I, um, that Radio Lab is what I would listen to in my in practice. So mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I tell people this when they come to my classes now, and they're like, I can't sit still, and I can't quiet my mind, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, it, it's so yeah I mean I I sat at home and I listened to podcasts and I did these posters <laughs> and then um Paul Gurley didn't run a lot of trainings and so I was actually waitlisted for a training and um I got in very last minute and had to kind of yeah make a, a quick decision to go off and, and study with him but and that you know I mean you look again you look back and and you you know that moments were pivotal and that was a very pivotal moment for me um, but also a very scary one because I, even though I was, I questioned what I had learned for five years, I also still taught from that place, you know, I mean, mm. I was coming up with, you know, fancy sequences and choreographies and playlists. And I was, you know, you know, I was parroting the things I had heard in my trainings and from my teachers. And even though in the back of my mind, there was this voice that was kind of like, is that really true? (laughs) Like I had the skeptic in my head, Mm. but I, I was learning to perform the performance. Um, Mm. and I was, I was, you know, I was, I was good at it. Um, people were coming to my classes and liking what I was doing, but, um, yeah. So when I got to Paul and, and he started really deconstructing the poses it, it, it deconstructed my idea of what I was teaching. And I can remember, you know, simultaneously being thrilled by what I was learning and also kind of going, shit, well, like, how am I going to teach now? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like what am I going to, I, it's, that's all just been like, that scaffolding has all just been torn down and I don't know what I'm going to put up in its place. Mm. Um, and so that that was in 2009 when I did that first training with Paul. And then I, you know, um, I moved a year later. So I, 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 you know, again, looking back, I sort of had those experiences in a timeline where um, I had the opportunity. Well, I was forced to ask that question in a really significant way. Okay, what is the new scaffolding I'm going to build that I'm going to teach from? And then I moved to the other side of the world. So it really was really was starting over um Mm. not just in terms of the career and a city where I knew no one but also rebuilding my my um teaching scaffolding (laughs) like Mm. um and I and and with Paul I will say not not just again did did the sort of way of of using the body as an investigative tool appeal to me and change the way I practiced forever he was also the person through which I found a meditation practice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, you know, you, it's, you don't want to, I don't want to oversimplify it. Right. I had put at that point five years of practice in as well. So I'd been sitting with this question and, um, but I will never forget. And this was actually Susie Grilly, who at the time was not as significant a part of the trainings that Paul runs now. She, she is, but um, she, I was having a, you know, at this point, because they weren't yet such celebrities in the yoga world, it was a little easier than to, you know, hang out and have a chat at lunch. And, and 
not to imply they're still incredibly accessible, but their time is just so much more in demand. It's, it, it's harder to have that, that easy access. But at this point, you know, you could sit down with them at, at lunch and, and have a chat. And I was talking to Susie actually about my difficulties with meditation. And I sort of identified it as, well, I sit down and I can't make my mind still. And um, she looked at me and she said, well, why are you trying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was yeah. like the most radical thing, you know, it was like one of those times when you're like, well, why am I trying? Like, yeah. isn't that the whole thing? Like, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, I don't know. I mean, if there are thoughts that keep coming up for you in meditation, maybe follow that train of thought and see where it takes you. Maybe there's something you're supposed to pay attention to. And I, it was, again, it was just the first time for me that it occurred to me that in meditation, it wasn't about pushing things away, but having a different relationship to the content that arises. And this notion that, that I could observe something and not, not try to yeah, get rid of it. And, you know, a lot of my meditation practice had felt like that, like, Oh, get rid of that. Get rid of yeah. that. Like, don't, de- you know, don't, don't deal with that. Um, Obviously, my meditation had therefore been very agitating <laughs> because it's a lot of effort to keep, you know, sublimating things. Um, but when it was a process of like, oh, well, you know, you're going to sit and, and make space and things are going to arise. Um, it was such a different way to think about it as like, oh, it's, it's about my relationship to that content. It's actually about making space for that content. Um, from which I can can view it a little bit more clearly and make more skillful choices about how I'm going to interact with it, but not that I'm trying to, you know, make my mind still. And I think that's true in posture as well. You know, I think through Paul and Grilly, at Paul and, and Susie Grilly, I, I learned that um, it isn't about sitting still in a posture. It's about making space in a posture to witness experience. Mm. and. And then in through the practice and the spaces between postures to integrate that experience over time, right? I mean, I don't, um, not necessarily in the space of one practice, but, but to notice what comes up a lot, to notice what dark corners of yourself you are um, not so eager to peer into, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. that there's, um, but it, it's about perceiving rather than um diminishing or hiding or <laughs> um, yeah. you know deciding what the good and bad parts of yourself are right yeah it's all the parts yeah yeah and kind of seeing it from a place of compassion not judgment i i found that that was such a huge thing for me because you know sitting in the postures or you know when i'm meditating i you know see the thoughts and you know there was always a temptation then to have a, uh, a story or a, um, you know, uh, a, a judgment of the thoughts. Um, and, it, you know, I found that my practice really changed when I just had this, was able to find a place of um, observation and compassion to what was happening. Do you find that this is something similar for you? I think that compassion, compassion is such an interesting word. Um, I, because there's this tension, right, in, in mm. any change process. And I do think that yoga is a 
is a change process. It's an evolution um, yeah. proposition. And so, you know, part of the yoga, I think, is really understanding what you can change and what you will always be working with as a part of your makeup um, and distinguishing between those two things. And, and probably without um, extending that, that kind of generosity or compassion to, your, to yourself, um, it's impossible to do it with other people. I mean, I, and mm. look, I think that lesson, I, I did a lot of work, a, a lot of volunteer work when I was quite young. As I said, my, my parents were involved in social justice. I sort of grew up, you know, um, breathing that air. And then DC was, was a big community for that. And, and so as a teenager, I'd been, you know, running around involved in a lot of causes and I worked in homeless shelters and I was politically active. And, um, I remember talking to, um, you know, a guy who at the time seemed like a wise elder. He was probably in his thirties. You know, I was <laughs> 16. Um, and, uh, but so a young black man who I think had come himself through the prison system, um, and was now running a, a homeless shelter where I did a lot of volunteer work. And I remember very sincerely telling him, you know, that I was going to, um, continue this work and um that I wanted to take on more and and he looked at me very kindly you know and he said um you might want to I mean he, he even at that time had the insight that I was kind of the, the sort of person who focused a lot on what I could do for other people and not enough on myself mm. and you know he sort of said maybe spend a little time taking care of yourself and investigating your own reasons for wanting to do this work. And he, he put it a little differently than that, but it's essentially what he was saying, which was you're too young to even understand, you know, what, what your commitment to this work is and why you're doing it. And you're already, you know, um, taking on probably more than you should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and I, you know, that, that conversation always stuck with me because of course, often in that world, people are like, yes, it's, you know, a willing volunteer, they'll give you 20 things to do. And he was kind of the first person who was like, yeah, maybe slow your roll a little bit, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like maybe, maybe it's time to, to step back and take some stock of what this is about for you and to make sure that you're taking care of your own needs before you try to you know, save the world. Um, and, and I didn't pay any attention to him at the time, by the way, it was very good Mm -hmm. advice, but which I, that I did not take, but it kind of stuck in a corner of my mind. And, and later as yoga gave me a different way of perceiving myself and the world, those words kind of came back to me. And I, and I, so I think yoga is a, is an investigative tool. And one of the things you learn in that investigation is, that you are not perfect, right? If you're, if you are practicing and meditating with real sincerity, you are seeing the darkest parts of yourself and you, yeah, in some ways you have to, um, have a relationship with those parts of you. Now that doesn't mean that you get to just sort of say, well, that's the way it is. (laughs) Um, but, but, yeah. So, th- so it is this, it's a, like, it's a very interesting process of excavation 
seeing yourself more clearly, layer by layer by layer, and then loving and accepting everything that is, but also working on those things that are limiting you um, in terms of the things that matter most to you, your relationships, your work, your, you know, what, what are the things that are in the way of you being more in the light than in the dark. Right. And, but yeah, I don't, I don't think you can do that until you recognize what, what's really motivating you, you know, what you're really after. (laughs) Um, And part of that is, is being willing to love all of the dimensions of yourself. Um, Mm. And, and to, and to see yourself not to see progress as not linear. Like I definitely think I, I had an idea of, of progress and evolution as being linear and that's definitely changed for me. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a constant dynamic process and there are days when you have the capacity to do strong work and to, and to try to change ideas and practices and beliefs that are deeply entrenched. And there are days when you don't <laughs> and um, you, you, you have to have some wisdom around when to do what. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I think it is a, it's an interesting tension, this idea of, of um, loving and being with things how they are, but also recognizing that growth is a process of, of change. Yeah, yeah, beautifully, beautifully um, put, Jen. Really, um, you know, so so much stuff to unpack there. Um, but I know that um, time is a little bit limited. Um, but something that um, you said that that was really interesting is, um, you know, when we're when we're seeing the the dark and the light, you know, um, there can be. This is from personal experience. You know, with the dark, I used to fight it I used to resist it um and then you know I I softened around it but I think what's interesting with what you're saying is that you know there's this sense of yeah an acceptance of the dark but then not saying that um you know oh well I'm just who I am you know I am who I am because then that's not taking a responsibility for almost having found those parts yeah yeah you know like i think that's i think that's really 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 fascinating yeah i mean i I, yeah i mean i think responsibility is probably the a little bit the key word there and so the last thing i'll share so i'm doing a i have a a new movement practice at the moment that that i was taught it's not something i'm teaching but in having to do some some physical self-care um physical and emotional self-care for myself during the past kind of year and a half um, I was again, um, dealing with some chronic pain, different presentation than in my late twenties. But, um, you know, as anyone who's dealt with chronic pain, no less significant right, whenever it mm-hmm. arises. And especially when you are, um, a mo- you know, you're so- sort of held up as this model of, of health and wellness. And so you kind of feel like, oh, well, things can't go wrong for me. Right. So mm-hmm. there's, again, this, this question of identity comes up and, um, attachment, but uh, so I've been working with a very interesting chiropractor and he uses some traditional chiropractic methods, but he also um, has with some of his clients and, and I was one of them introduces a method called tremoring. And essentially that's work that I do on my own um, where I induce a, um, 
a tremor that's a movement pattern that kind of has its own life its own intelligence you don't move yourself you are moved mm. <laughs> um, essentially by by your own subconscious so it's a fascinating experience that i could talk about for hours but the what how it relates to the conversation we were just having is that I think that health is a partnership. And so in this case with my chiropractor, when I first started to see him, you know, he's an amazing chiropractor, but there were limits to the work that he could do because I had built up physical walls around parts of my body and he couldn't get to them in a way that allowed those parts to really transform. And so no matter how skillful a healer he is, there were parts of me that I was not making available, not consciously, but yeah. whenever he would go into them, there was resistance and we, we couldn't change those patterns. And what we finally had to decide as a team was that I needed to take responsibility for a piece of that process using this, given, given this therapeutic tool that he taught me. And that changed the way my body was able to receive his care. And I think that's, to me, what's so critical about that's what yoga is. It's what, it's what health is. It's what healthcare is it. And it's what Paul showed me back in 2009 when I trained with him is that there's this level of, of participation in our own health and taking ownership of parts of the process so that we can receive the care, the wisdom, the insight, whatever form it takes that we need but there is work we have to do on ourselves that will take mm. many different forms through our lifetime of being this, right? Mm. And, you know, for me right now, it's actually subverting my, my conscious thinking patterns and, and diving into this intelligence inside me that, that isn't directed by my, my conscious thought. But that's changed the way I'm able to receive the, the care that I need. So, Mm. I, yeah, I think it's it's that that dimension of um, loving um, who we are and and being with all the parts of us, but also um, taking responsibility for those places where we have patterned ideas, beliefs, movement habits, whatever they are, that prevent us from evolving, um, that mm. prevent us from from really from from stepping into being everything that that we can be. And once you know that, once you understand that, you you take responsibility for participating in that process, not just turning yourself over to a yoga teacher or a chiropractor or an anyone and saying, fix me. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it would be great if, well, no, it wouldn't be great if it works that way. But that is how we think about healing. And I would, you personally, I would I would like to change that. So I'm, I'm living that as a way of <laughs> demonstrating my, my commitment to that change. Right. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love, and there's something so empowering about it. You know, it's, yeah. it's taking the, the power back for our own lives and, and building that deeper relationship with the body as yeah. well. Yeah. Because is... there's, there's a lot to learn in there as I keep yeah. discovering. <laughs> incredible really, it blows really your mind true. actually like you know, yeah when yeah, you actually sure, go yes. down that journey <laughs> it's like wow yeah. this this whole other world <laughs> i was always looking yeah. outside but actually this is so much more interesting yeah exactly this is, yeah ex exactly exactly <laughs> love it love it love it so before we um finish up what um this podcast is called becoming whole so i'd love to hear what is um wholeness to you what's living a whole life 
<laughs> just I know a, it's a nice a, just a little, little question a little there question little question there before we finish off I ask every um every uh, podcast guest this question um and um you know where, wherever it takes you just the first thing that kind of comes to mind uh, look I I, I, I mean I probably would have answered that question I probably would answer that. Yeah, that question would get a very different answer if you asked me again, even, you know, six months yeah. from now. But to, <laughs> today... I totally get that. <laughs> um, today, I would say... <laughs> in, in some ways, I would say it's it's recognizing that you don't know what you don't know. And that's a weird thing to say from somebody like me who, who studies and investigates and learns. And But I, but I, I think you know, the events maybe of the past couple of years have just taught me that you, you have to make, becoming whole is making space for shifts in perspective that will come that you don't, you don't know about yet. And so to be, to be passionate about who you, about what you want to offer, to, to get as clear as you can about what your core values are and to be passionate and excited about finding different ways to share those values when they're, when they're meaningful to you. But wholeness is also a little bit about embracing mystery. It's embracing that um, you can and should change your mind. (laughs) Your life will definitely force perspective changes that you may or may not have been prepared for. And that you, you have to make space to see the people in your life that you're closest to, through different eyes and to, and to give them an opportunity to see you that way to, to, and some of that really is stepping outside the, the, the tendency I certainly have. And I, 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 I see other people doing it too, to want to sort of fix things to, to want to um, always look for recognizable patterns or to make assumptions based on previous ways of being. Um, and I think that's what asana, yoga asana gives us a chance to do is to actually disrupt prediction. Like, because the way you felt today, if you really stop and feel it is different than yesterday. And you didn't know what you were going to feel today, yesterday, unless your mindset is, is that right. Unless your mindset fixes what you can see, feel, taste, touch, experience but the moment will always surprise you if you let it (laughs) Um, but but that's that's the process is is can can you let it you know can you kind of um and that it's hard it's Mm. it's hard um I think because we in an information age especially we feel like we should know and and if you're an expert of course you should know um you should have an answer but unless you make space for that to be not true, you know, unless you make some space for, for mystery, unless you make some space for what you don't yet know, I think you are, you are not whole. Um, cause you, you are definitely not what you know today. <laughs> I mean, today you are yeah. <laughs> right. But, yeah. but that's, Ooh. that's not the whole of you. And, and, um, yeah, it's a, I'm finding it, it's a, it's not, it's an uncomfortable, you know, philosophy to put on at this point in my life. Um, but I like it. I mean, I don't like everything that I feel in it, but I, but I respect it. Um, yeah. And I'm, I think that it's, 
I, I, and I know that I'm evolving through it, (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't mean that every part of it is delightful. (laughs) No, exactly. But it's having that sort of, you know, that openness. Um, and, um, yeah, like I love that word, you know, open to the mystery, like so beautiful. Mm. So good. All right. So thank you so much, Jen. This has been such a fascinating um, conversation. Um, and thank you so much for, um, you know, really going deep in some different areas um, and, you know, sharing your journey um, to yoga and um, to the place where you are today. Um, well, that's been an honor. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And um, before we uh, finish up, can you just let the uh, listeners know about sort of what workshops you have coming up or trainings and how people can connect with you? So I have a, a website that I, I try to maintain, um, and that's a good source for, for information, yoga.jencosenzo.com, um, about upcoming trainings um my training cycle is sort of winding down for the year but i'll I'll launch a whole new one in 2018 um so at this stage probably the if you're interested in doing a yin training with me um november in Torquay at the beautiful yoga uh, yoga studio there um i'll be doing a, a yin sequencing training but the um everything else is, is, um, is already booked in and in process for, <laughs> for 2017. So, um, but yeah, um, you, I mean, you can feel free to connect with me through Instagram. I'm not so much on Facebook these days, although I have an account. So, <laughs> um, but Facebook messenger, I will check. So, you know, I, I try to be, um, on top of, of, um, people who reach out for information and I'm always happy to, answer questions. And again, the website has, you know, will at least give you some background information about me. I also teach weekly classes. So if you just want to have the experience, um, yoke yoga, move yoga and Ohana yoga, and, um, you can find information about those studios, um, online. Perfect. Perfect. And I'll put all of those details into the show notes as well so that um, people can connect directly with you. And I'd really recommend um, doing Jen's um, yin training if you are interested in going deeper into yin and particularly as well from an inquiry perspective. That's what I really found um, when I did the training with you, Jen, was, you know, just asking these questions um, to myself and really exploring my body at a deeper level than I ever have done before. And so thank you so much for, you know, adding that to my life and to my toolkit and there you have it thank you so much for listening and i do hope that you enjoyed this episode and gained some new insights if you're enjoying this podcast please do share it with friends you think may benefit from the message and if you'd like to rate the show and give it a review on itunes not only would i be so happy but this will also help increase the show's visibility so that more people can benefit from the messages I would love to connect with you. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is underscore Claire with an I and an E Bradshaw underscore. I so totally can't wait to connect with you soon. Have a beautiful day.